So we're in the middle of a series, Bible Stories, Fact or Fiction. How was last week? I heard a lot of great stuff from last week. A lot of people felt like, uh, man, that was some interesting stuff to talk about. Um, We're asking the question, are the stories in the Bible, are they true, real stories, especially those in Genesis 1 through 11? Can it be trusted? Is it accurate? Um, Is it an accurate account of how we came to be? Uh, is the first 11 chapters, or the first 11 chapters deal with creation, they deal with man, sin, the global flood, the Tower of Babel? Are they fact or fiction? Um, if it's fiction, or even if it's poetry and not literal, I believe we have a little problem on our hands, um, in my personal opinion, because James, Jesus, Paul, Peter, um, the writer of Hebrews, they all treated the first 11 chapters, they spoke to them as real events, as real people. So if it isn't historical, I think there's a lot of questions. And, and I'm just going to speak for myself. I don't want to be dramatic here, but I'm going to be dramatic here. Um, I'll speak for myself. I'm a black or white kind of guy. Okay, some people are very good with ambiguity. Who's, it's like, it's okay, it's just, it's not perfect. I'm like, it's either got to be perfect or don't do it at all, you know? And that, that can be really helpful and can be really annoying. And uh, I'm a black and white kind of guy, so um, I'm just speaking for myself. If it came out that Genesis 1-11, they, they, they could prove that it wasn't historical, that it, that, uh, it was just poetic language or symbolic I honestly think I would have a crisis of faith on my hands. I would struggle to believe the entire thing. Um, I'm not putting that on anybody here. That's between you and the Lord. But I'm just letting you know, when I read author after author after author who set Jesus and what I just named off, all all the authors uh, in the New Testament, and they point to these people as real people, Real events. I mean, take a look at the genealogy of Luke. When you read the genealogy of Luke, uh, in, in Luke of Jesus, goes all, put that scripture up there. It says, Kenan, this is the end of the genealogy. Kenan was the son of Enosh. Enosh was the son of Seth. Seth was the son of Adam. Adam was the son of God. He was the son of God because that was his father. They trace Jesus' genealogy all the way back to Adam. Now tell me, if Adam wasn't a real person, what do you do with that? I mean, what, do you, what do you do with that? If Genesis is not historical, telling us how things happened, how they came to be, the contradictions to me seem pretty tough to get around And this is what I've been trying to communicate a lot about our young people who are leaving the faith in droves. They are leaving on and on and on. I've referencing this book. I just reference it every time because it's really part of where this series came from. But in in the book Already Gone, 20,000 people were studied. And they were all people, mostly millennials, because a few years ago, but mostly millennials and some Gen Z. 20,000 people that have left the church, have not made it back. And they found some interesting things in their studies. They weren't losing their faith in college like we, we all hear about. I just heard something on the radio where, they, where this guy says, Yeah, I was at LSU, went to my anthropology class. And, the, and the, uh, the professor says, Raise your hand if, here, if you're a Christian in here. 
Some kids raise their hand and says, I hope you won't be raising your hand at the end of this class semester. I'm going to prove to you that what you believe is completely off basis. But we think that that's where they all lose it. But really what we found out was they found out that 40% of students had their doubts about all of this stuff in middle school. 43% in high school. And by the time they got to college, they may have been toting the line. They may be telling you, Mom, Dad, yes, I believe, I believe, I believe. But the reality is when they get to college, they're like, Dude, I've, now I finally get a chance. I'm not going to believe any of that stuff anymore. And when they drilled down and they found out and they asked the questions, what were the things that were driving them away? By and large, the majority of things that they were struggling with in their faith was Adam and Eve, snake in the garden, a global flood, Tower of Babel. I mean, they're like, I, I, I don't know what to do with this. And I love this quote, uh, our spirituality has become compartmentalized. Yes, we go to church, but only to get our emotional and spiritual needs met. Then we walk out the doors and face a pagan world where we have to live by a whole different set of assumptions. We might say, well, this doesn't matter, but let's be honest. In the back of everyone's mind is the question, if I can't trust the Bible in earthly things, why should I trust it in spiritual things? What really happened to the church in the United Kingdom and Europe and America, in fact, across the Western world, was that the church basically disconnected the Bible from the real world. And I keep asking the question, have we treated these, and I'm not saying us as a church, but just in general, have we treated the stories of Adam and Eve and the global flood like we, we treat Santa Claus? Like, oh, it's fun. Let's go along with it. Let's talk about it. Oh, the little animal's going on there. Show that picture. Oh, yeah. Oh, the animals, the bear popping out at the top is beautiful. <laughs> but we all know it's not real. We all know, just like Santa Claus, well, I'm not going to say that out loud here in case there's kids in here. I won't do that. But you know what I'm saying? You, hint, hint. See, the, to the teaching that most of us received if you grew up in a public school was the, the origins of life left God out of the picture, and we were taught an evolutionary model. And let me just tell you, it has worked. Many people are fully convinced. So I'm really excited. Yesterday, some of our teenagers went out on the streets here in, in uh, Allen and asked people what they believe about uh, Christianity, about creation. Let's, let's watch what they came up with. What's going on, guys? Today we're out here at the Allen Outlets Mall, and we're going to be asking people their opinion on truth and how the world was created. I'm Ezra, and this is... Ellie. And this is... Grace. Let's go. How do you think the universe and the earth came to exist? Um, I think it was random happenstance through the Big Bang. Well, I'm a Christian, so I think like God made the universe and I think he made us. So we believe in God and we believe that God created everything. So I would say that God created the universe and that's how it came to existence. I think God is science and so I do believe he created the universe, but I also think there was an order to things, like the Big Bang, like that was all part of uh, creation. So I don't take it literally that it was seven days. It's, I think that's more symbolic, but I do think that there, you know, everything that physicists and scientists have found out, physically speaking in our world, did occur. Big Bang Theory? Why do you think that's true? Science. Um, basically particles creating, like the atoms and the neutrons, 
create a chemical reaction, create an explosion. Oh my gosh, are these hard questions? Just through uh, empirical evidence from scientists, um, it just seems like the most likely. My faith and science, and I don't think they contradict each other. I wouldn't really understand how else it would come to be. There's like too many coincidences to for it to make sense without having like a higher body. How do you know something is right or wrong? I guess like my my, my moral conscience. I think about it and think like how and my decisions impact like another person. How will they feel about my decisions and then I go from there. That's very difficult to answer actually because I mean because to someone right could be wrong to them but wrong could be right to them as well. So that one, you know, to me it's what's in your heart. If it feels like it's right, then it's right to you. Intuition. Intuition? Yeah, my gut feeling. Um, I think it's uh, through the net good that affects other people. Any action you do, if it helps someone, it's right. If it doesn't affect anyone, it's neither, you know? Do you believe that there's an absolute truth that we should live by? I guess it would depend on each person, but I think it's subjective and going to depend on each person. Uh, just try to be a good person. That's about it. Life is subjective to different people and like different people live by like different truths. I don't think yeah. there's really one thing for everyone. No, I think it's all within our own truths, you know, just gotta live what your life is. Do you think that there's an afterlife? And if so, how do you get there? Uh, no, I don't. You don't? I do not. I think once you die, you're in the ground and you're good. I do. I don't know what it is, but yeah. obviously I feel like it has to be death. And mm -hmm. then you just, wherever you go, wherever you believe. You go, you just end up yeah. Yeah. Either if you become a tree or you go up in heaven or yeah. whatever. I do think that there is an afterlife. Um, I think getting there is being a good person. And I think God kind of like has given us somewhat of a structure of like things to do that will get you to where you want to go in the afterlife. And I think that if we like, you know, follow being a good person, like helping other people, being kind, you will um, get there. You will get there. Yeah. <laughs> it all goes dark. Thank you for Matthew to put that together and all those teenagers. That's, that was greatness. But most of the time when we see these things, we see them in L.A. at the UCLA campus. But this is on our backyard. This is how people believe. Even the people they said that were Christians couldn't answer, is there ultimate truth? Well, it's kind of what, you know, I feel. That's going to lead down a big, tough road. So what do we do? Well we, well, we do what we're doing here. We teach truth. We use science to back it up. We teach it in church. We teach it in Bible studies. We teach kids in church. And the most importantly, we teach them at home. We teach them the truth at home. And so um, here's really the deal. <laughs> if the Bible is in fact true, and it's true about what it says it is, we have another dilemma on our hands because it's clear we will be held accountable to that knowledge and so a lot of people don't want to admit that truth because now they'll be held accountable to it so last week we covered a lot of uh, ground uh, I talked a little bit about my story about how I really believed in, in uh, you know I believed in Adam and Eve but I believed in, in uh, billions and millions of years the gap theory the day age we'll talk about that in just a second um, and 
the Lord really just changed my heart on this whole thing. And I began to see things through a different light. And I recognized that I didn't fully believe the Bible in, in all the areas. And so, you know, you might ask, well, Jeff, is this a salvation issue? Well, it's not a salvation issue. You don't have to believe uh, the creation was a literal six days. You don't have to believe. You can believe in evolution if you want. Uh, the Bible's clear. We confess with our mouths, believe in our heart, we'll be saved. But let me just tell you, it is clear from the stats that I just read that it's actually keeping many from making decision for Christ. Because they believe that science has disproved the Bible. And we haven't had any answers. Just go have more faith. Just believe more. And they're going, yeah, that doesn't work for me. I need to see some at least good reasons to believe. And so that's what we want to talk about. So... I've got three goals for these, uh, for these four weeks that we're in. Three goals that I want to help. Number one, I want to I help deepen your faith so that you really believe God's word that, that uh, more than you've ever had before. You're like, man, if it says it, it says it. Even if it's inconvenient for me, it says it. Um, I'm not trying to convince you of a theory here. Uh, number two, I want uh, those who are struggling in their faith going, I'm not sure if I really believe all of this. I hope that maybe that I can affirm that we can give you some hope to believe in what you, um, maybe what your parents believed. And then number, th- number three, I want to be able to give you a defense for your faith. We should be able to defend our faith. First Peter 3 says this, but in your hearts, honor Christ as the Lord is holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. And I love this. He said, but yet do it with gentleness and respect. A lot of the times we don't do things with gentleness and respect, do we? <laughs> but we sh- and I love that, that this is Peter, because, and I said that last week, but I love that this is Peter because Peter was not the Apollos who was the eloquent speaker. He was not Paul that had been trained on. This was Peter, and he's saying, look, everyone, every person that's a believer should be able to defend their faith. And uh, that's part of what we, I feel like our call here. So I want to give you some evidences for creation, but before I do, I've got a few other things I want to talk about that help us. Um, because let me say, evidence is rarely enough to convince anybody. I love this quote from the book uh, "Evidence: The Ultimate Proof of Creation" by Dr. Jason Lyle. This is a great br- book. It is not um, really a science book. It's very, it's it's really good, and I encourage you to if you read it if you want to have uh, have some things to be able to talk about with if you have people that don't believe and he said but he says this right here for the origins of debate i will be using dna fossils and rock layers to support my petition position said the evolutionist that's odd said the creationist that's exactly what i was going to use to support my position (laughs) that's there and where we lie here facts or scientific evidence rarely turns the conversation I'm going to share some things today that I believe support creation, but let me just tell you, I will have text and I will have emails, maybe from some of you. I've had Facebook trolls before. I love those. You know, you idiot Christians, what you believe, you, you know, you creationists, you know, science is disproven, blah, 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 blah. And then they'll say, have you thought of this? But you missed this. Okay, so all that stuff, rarely facts and, and scientific uh, discoveries they, they rarely change anybody. Facts have to be interpreted, right? The rocks don't speak. 
Nature doesn't say words. Sometimes we use the word, we say, well, the evidence speaks for itself. Evidence does not speak for itself. People speak. And people interpret the evidence. So there's not some magical evidence that, that, uh, the, that they have when it comes to evolution that is not available to somebody who believes in the Bible. It's all the same evidence. They're looking at it. They just have a different what we'll call worldview. Of different worldview. When we have the same evidence but come to a different conclusion, that lets us know that we have, we're talking about a different worldview. And we like to think that science is blind, science is objective. It is not. Everybody, every person in this room has a worldview, how you think. It's how you filter everything in life. So somebody comes to you and says, hey, last night I saw a UFO up in the sky. Well, if your worldview says, I believe in UFOs, you're like, tell me more, tell me more about it. I want to hear, I want to hear. I've, I've, been, I've been curious to hear about these sightings, right? If your worldview is... I don't believe in them, then immediately you dismiss that and you go, well, it had to be some secret spy plane of the United States Army, military, right? You just, you just, so your worldview, it's your past hurts, your past experiences, how you've been taught, your upbringing, all that determine how you interpret the world. I love uh, C.S. Lewis. I, I, there was a book I've been, or a movie that we were watching last night called The uh, Most Reluctant Convert. Anybody seen that? Fantastic. It's on the life of C.S. Lewis. It's an autobiography. Um, but when he was 12, his mom, or 12 or 14 or something, his mom passed away. He'd been praying for her, and she died. And he said, I'm done with it. And he became an atheist from that point on. Of course, then God brought him back. It's an incredible story. But his hurt and his disappointment created a worldview in him that no matter what evidence he saw, it didn't point to God. So we have to recognize that everybody has a worldview. And I'm not afraid, I'm not ashamed to say that my lens, my worldview, is through the Bible. I interpret everything that I see through the lens of what God's Word says. And so an evolution, evolution has a worldview that's without God. Or at least God intervention. And so they have to take a, a naturalistic view on everything and they exclude any supernatural uh, intervention. So can you guys hear me okay? I feel like I'm maybe just give me just a little bit so I don't have to yell. So what we're really discussing is whose worldview is correct. And one of the best defenses, let me just say this, and th this is what I learned with Dr. Jason Lyle's book. One of the best defenses when, when you're dealing with talking to people about their worldview and, is not to try to constantly defend your worldview, but is actually to poke holes in their worldview. And one of the things you can do, what I love, he says, is you, you, you say, okay, let's assume your worldview is correct. And let's just take it back, forward and, uh, forward and backwards. Let's take your worldview and let's look at how ludicrous what you're believing is actually. Of course, you say it with gentleness and respect. <laughs> but I'm here to tell you that the biblical worldview is not just the better worldview. It's the only right worldview. It's the only worldview that you can look at the world and go, yeah. It all makes sense. Every other worldview does not make sense, and I want to talk about that a little bit. All right. 
The first thing I want to do here uh, is I want to lay out some of the different beliefs when it comes to creation because there's, there's a whole gamut of them. So let's talk about, the, we've got two primary polar opposites. We've got evolution and creationists, but there's several in the middle of them that believe how things might have gone, and we heard some of them on that uh, video. So let's start with evolutionists. Okay, they believe a universe was formed 13.8 billion years ago, okay, that it originated with the Big Bang, a rapid expansion of space and time and energy from an infinitely small point. Energy cooled and became matter, which became stars, galaxies, and planets. Here on Earth, which is 4.5 billion years old, certain chemicals came together to form the first self-replicating cell, which mutated, mutated to become more complex. With each mutation, new life forms and variations of those life forms were formed. According to the theory, individual traits that enable them to adapt to their environments will help them to survive and have more offspring. So if you've got a wolf that's got a thick coat, he's going to survive better in a cold climate. He's probably not going to do so well in a hot climate, right? And they will inherit those traits. Individuals with less adaptive traits, so so a dog that has um, you know very short hair, they may not survive, and they will not pass that on to the next, uh, the next dog. So over time, that allows the, the traits that enable species to survive and reproduce will become more frequent in the population, and the population will change or evolve. About 535 million years ago, we were fish. and they be, do, do we have, Did I put that slide up there, the fish to man? I might have forgotten to do that. That was a great picture, too. Um, 535 million years ago, we were fish, and we began to want to get out of the water. And over time, there was a, there's a progression that they had, and I, I forgot to put it up there, but it's a it's progression from us going from a fish to a man. Pretty amazing. Yeah, exactly. Well, that's a logical, rational thinking. You can't use that in this situation, all right? I want to make one caveat here because the common thing is we came from monkeys or apes. We did not come from monkeys or apes, according to the evolutionists. Uh, about 100 million years ago or so, there was a line that was a half, that was kind of a hybrid. Uh, anybody seen Lucy, the Australopithecus? Uh, Lucy and the, well, she's, they think was that missing link. They've never actually found a missing link, but that's what they think is. And so from that line, uh, there was one line that went apes and, and monkeys, and one line went humans. Um, and so all life we now started and evolved over a billion years. They believe in the uniformitarianism. This is the idea that earth has always changed in uniform ways that the present is the key to the past, meaning we can look at what's happening now and we can extrapolate it back and re- recognize that's always been the process. And so if it's happening now at this rate, then that means we can follow that rate all the way back. And so that's where they get the millions and billions of years. All right. So that's one side. Now we've got the strict uh, literal creationist that believes uh, creation was that God created the whole heavens and the earth in six days, a literal six days, 24 hours. God created everything we see from about 6,000 years ago, according to genealogies, God created Adam and Eve. We are all descendants of those two people. That everything was perfect in the garden because God said it was good. There was no death or disease. But because of their sin, it destroyed, brought death and disease. And everything, that the suffering that now we're experiencing now is because of their sin. And the world got so bad that God destroyed 
the entire world with a global flood that went all the way up to the highest of mountains and changed the entire topography of the, of the earth. The, that the majority of rock layers that we see were not laid down over billions of years, but about 4,500 years ago with rapid, um, you know, all the water and all that kind of stuff happening buried them down rapidly. Now, creationists do believe in a form of uniformitarianism, but specifically after the flood, because the Scripture tells us that. Let's read that. Genesis 8, 1. Remember, uniformitarianism, everything's have always been the same. Let's read Genesis uh, 8 there. And the Lord was pleased with the aroma of the sacrifice and said to himself, I will never again, don't I have that one, curse the ground because of the human race. Even though everything they think or imagine is bent towards evil from childhood, I will never again destroy all living things as long as the earth remains, he's saying from this point on, after the flood, there will be planting and harvest, cold and heat, summer and winter, day and night. So he, te- he did tell us there's going to be a little bit of uniformitarianism from that point. I also want to say a creationist does not believe, does, or I should say does believe in microevolution. Microevolution is that things do change and evolve, but only within a species. Okay, so dogs can change and evolve. A dog can go from a wolf to chihuahua, but a dog does not turn into a cat. Thank God. (laughs) And that's what we believe. But of course, evolution says they can change from species to species. All right. Now we've got some little few things in between. And of course, uh, you know, the evolutionist theory is, I mean, it's pretty broad. I'm I'm being very general here, but... um, then there's the belief of theistic evolution. And go to the next one there. Uh, click at it one more time there. Theistic, God uses the process of evolution to create everything we see. So God, there is a God, but he used the process of evolution uh, over billions of years to make that happen. Um, and there's many believers, there's people that love Jesus that believe this, all right? Number, the next one be the gap theory. That there were somehow billions of years between Genesis 1-1... And one two, and most of them believe that between one one and one two, that's where all the dinosaurs were. That's where uh, cavemen existed. All that kind of stuff in between. And then God started over on Genesis one two with the new earth. And then finally, which is probably taken the most on in the church, is the progressive creation or the day age theory. Which uh, Hugh Ross is one of those who's a believer. He's uh, I see him a lot on like Seven Hundred Club and stuff. Uh, they teach that God supernaturally caused the Big Bang 13.8 billion years ago. And, but the days of creation represent huge time spans of millions, if not billions of years in between each day. And that God would supernaturally at times step in to create new species of animals uh, as they died off. So say uh, the dinosaurs died off 65 million years ago. Well, then that was maybe for them, I don't know the exact, exact day, but maybe that was day three or four, and he stepped in on day four and after you know 65 million years ago and created a new species. So that's kind of the day-age theory. Um, many believe that there was a flood, but not a regional. It was a regional flood, not a global flood. So most of my life, you know, because I grew up in public school and all that kind of stuff, I was taught all these things. I believed in the day-age theory. That was my way of, of, of connecting the two pieces together, the Bible and, and evolution and what we think science was saying. But as I laid out last week, I, I, I mainly had 
as I began to study the scriptures and begin to study some of the proof, I had two major uh, obstacles that I had to get over with. Number one was the idea of death before God says there was death. The Bible is clear when Adam sinned, before, or should say, before Adam sinned, there, everybody was a, you know, could live forever. There was no death. When he sinned, death entered the world. And so in order to believe in millions of billions of years or the day age theory, I would also have to believe that there was death, millions of years of death, animals killing each other, all that kind of stuff before God said that there was death. That was one of them. The second one was really some of the sequence issues because they believe that the earth is 13 or the universe is older than the earth when the Bible is clear that the earth is older than the universe, that God created the earth first. That's kind of the layout, the theory. So what I'm going to do today, I'm going to give you some evidence. I, wanted, I said my email 10. I can't get to 10. Uh, too many of them. Maybe I might do something on Facebook this week, Facebook Live. Just kind of jump on and give you some others if you're interested. Um, but I want to give you some quick evidences of the Christian worldview um, or that support the Christian worldview and some of the science and reasoning and why I believe a strict reading of the Scripture is supported um, so let's let's start here, and I love this one because I just watched this movie with um, C.S. Lewis, and this is was was his real thing of turning point was so number one, the laws of morality, a basic understanding that every human being has of right and wrong. It's universally understood, right? It doesn't matter if you live uh, in Australia. Or if you live here in the United States, it doesn't matter if you lived in Australia a thousand years ago. Everyone has this basic moral understanding of right or wrong. So let me ask the question, where does that come from? It can't be measured. You can't take it in a lab and put it in a test tube and go, well, let's look at the law of morality. It's all in a person's head. Where did that come from? You know, the thing I think about is the place to see this is really at the fair. <laughs> Everybody has a sense of right and wrong at the fair. You get in line at that long line to get a corny dog, right? And you're, you're sitting there waiting in line. Everybody, single file, gets in line. They know that they're supposed to be in line, that there's, this is what we do. And you turn around to, to say something, and you turn around, and there's somebody new in front of you. <laughs> and you're like... What, what's going on? You immediately know there was something wrong. That did. Have you ever seen animals go after food? Do they treat each other like that? Have you seen a pack of hyenas? Hyena, hyenas? I can't even say that word. How do you say that? Hyenas, thank you. Have you ever seen them go after food? Have you ever seen two dogs in your house fight over food? Are they going, no, you first? No, no, really, you first. No, no, I mean, use the alpha dog. Ah, get out of here, get out of here. Only humans have this idea of right and wrong that you have broken the code. There is a right or wrong. I love what C.S. Lewis says. If someone is in danger, he puts it, it says, one desire you have is to give up, to give help due to your herd instinct. Do I have that quote up there? One desire is to give help due to your herd instinct. The other desire is to keep out of danger due to the instinct for self-preservation. 
But you will find inside you, in addition to these two impulses, a third thing which tells you that you ought to follow the impulse to help and suppress the impulse to run away. Now this thing that judges between two instincts that decides which one should be encouraged cannot self be either one of them. See, there's something inside everyone that even when the instinct is self-preservation, run away, somebody's in danger, there's something inside of it that says, I am my call and my duty is to go help that person. It goes against the instinct. You might say, well, morality is just a social construct. We've been taught all these things by our parents. But if you were to put a child, you, you find a child in the desert that hadn't been around. They may not know how to say please and thank you. They may not know their multiplication tables. But I tell you, they will have an understanding of basic right and wrong. And in, that murder is incorrect, stealing is wrong. They'll have that. Selfishness has never been admired in any, any culture since the beginning of time. Murder has always been wrong. Where do these things come from? I know people break them all the time, but we have an understanding about them. So this is really fascinating what I found. And they found seven morals that are universal. Let me put that, put that up there. Seven morals found around the world. This is a fascinating study. They said they went to 60 different countries, or 60 cultures to say, and they found these were the main rules. Number one, to help your family. Two, to help your group. Three, to return favors. Four, to be brave. Five, defer to superiors. Six, to divide your resources fairly. And number seven, to respect others' properties. Previous studies have looked at some of these rules in some places, they say, but none has looked at them in a large representative sample of societies. The present study is the largest, most comprehensive cross-cultural study of morals ever conducted. Dr. Oliver Scott Curry, lead author and senior researcher of the Institute for Cognitive Anthropology, said, the, the debate between moral universalists and moral relativists have raged for centuries, but now we have some answers. People everywhere face a similar set of social problems and use a similar set of moral rules to solve them. As predicted, these seven moral rules appear to be universal across culture. Everyone everywhere shares a common moral code. All agree that cooperating, promoting the common good is the right thing to do. Isn't that fascinating? And here's the thing. Evolutionists, of course, believe in morality, but you know what they have to do? Their morality does not actually fit into their worldview. They have to steal from the Christian worldview to make their worldview make sense. They're going to come steal from it. Because in their moral view, everything is up for basis. I mean, you can do anything. How can anything be right and wrong in an evolutionary mindset? We're just chemicals going off. Who sets the standard? If we're just a chemical reaction, why does it matter if anybody follows the rules at all? Do we get upset when vinegar... And baking soda have a big reaction? Oh, my goodness, I can't believe that that happened. Oh, my goodness. No, they're just chemicals reacting. So the evolutionist has a worldview that we're all chemicals reacting, yet when they come to morals, they, they, if, if somebody's pointing a gun at them, they all of a sudden have a moral code and said, you shouldn't be doing that. That's not the right thing to do. 
They're having to steal from the Christian perspective to make theirs make sense. Who are you to say lying is wrong? You're just a chemical reaction. And how do you even know that your senses are real? That's another one that we should get into. Logic. How do you even know that what you're sensing is real? If you're just a chemical reaction, if everything is just some synopsis going off, how do you even know that what you're experiencing is real right now, that your senses are real? Well, that's all logic given to you from God. Animals kill each other every single day. Why don't we put lions on trial for killing the gazelle? Why do we believe, believe that humans have dignity? More dignity than animals. Where does that come from? The logic breaks down when you begin to really look at it. Only the Christian worldview can help us explain why humans are more important than animals. And also the Christian worldview tells us why we take care of our animals. Because God called us to. C.S. Lewis adds, and can I get some water? I feel like my mouth is really dry. I don't know, maybe you can give me a bottle of water somewhere. C.S. Lewis adds in Mere Christianity, if there was a controlling power outside the universe, it could not show itself to us as one of the facts inside the universe. No more than an architect of a house could actually be a wall or a staircase or a fireplace in the house. The only way in which we could expect to show itself would be inside us as an influence or command trying to get us to behave in a certain way, and that's just what we find inside of us. And he says, as an atheist, my arguments against God was that the universe seemed so cruel and unjust. But how had I got this idea of just and unjust? A man does not call a line crooked unless he has some idea of what the straight line should look like. What was I comparing this universe with when I was calling it unjust? There must be something higher. It proves in every single person. And studies now line up that. Back it up. Every person has a moral code. Man, when did this come up here? I didn't even see it. That was, just, <laughs> that was fast. Yeah. Was that real? Am I, am, I, is it, am I really sitting in front of you guys? I don't even know. Are you guys with me? Is this okay? Is this interesting? Okay, what else are you going to say? But All right, number two. I'm going to get as fast as I can. The complexity of our world speaks of a creator. The earth is the only planet in galaxies estimated, estimated to be over 100 billion planets. And show that picture of the, the next one there. That's us in the galaxy. 100 billion planets, yet we are the only planet that can sustain life. How's that possible? Well, the heavens proclaim the glory of God. The skies display his craftsmanship, Psalm 19 and 1. He did it for the beauty and the glory of his name. He did it for that. It's like, I just want to do it because I can. To show my beauty. We're the perfect distance from the sun to sustain life. Anywhere else, it would be too hot or too cold. We wouldn't be able to live. The earth's magnetic field protects us from harmful radiation from the sun. We have an atmosphere that insulates us. We have just the right carbon and oxygen that can sustain life. Our planet is the only planet that they've found that has water, vegetation, and animals to provide nourishment. The laws of gravity allow us to walk freely around our world. 
No other planet even comes close. Are you telling me this all came about by chance? Does that logically make any sense? If just one of those factors were off, we'd all be extinct. Yet God says he's the one who sustains everything. What about the complexity of DNA? It speaks to God. It's a complex code that is in each of our cells that tells each cell, hey, I want you to create an eye, I want you to create a leg, I want you to create a liver, or whatever it is. It's a written language in our cells. A language that has a mind, a language has to have a mind that has been created. I mean, that's as crazy as thinking like, hey, you know what? I want to write a book, and here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to put my, I'm going to turn my keyboard on, my, my computer on, and I'm turn it on for five years, and I'm going to leave it there. And after five years, I'm going to read what it says. So the cat comes across and patters across it. Oh, there's a few letters. JJ's running around trying to get up there, and he, he hits it. We're cleaning it and, you know, hit something. Maybe a kid throws a book down. And after five years, I pull that out, and I'm like, okay, let's read what we got here. This is good. I, I can't wait to see what I'm going to discover here. It's going to be a mess. It's illogical. It makes no sense. But here's the point. Evolutionists are really, really smart people, much smarter than me. They're geniuses. But we're not talking about the facts. We're talking about a worldview. Second Corinthians 4, 4 says, Satan, who is the God of this world, has blinded the eyes of those who don't believe they are unable to see the glorious light of the good news. They don't understand this message about the glory of Christ, who is in the exact likeness of God. And Romans 1.8 says, But God shows his anger from heaven against all sinful, uh, all sinful wicked people who suppress the truth by their wickedness. They know the truth about God because he made it obvious to them. For ever since the world was created, people have seen the earth and sky through everything God has made it, they can clearly see his invisible qualities, his internal power and divine nature. So they have no excuse for not knowing God. But the Bible says, what do they do? They suppress the truth. Why do they suppress it? Because if I admit the truth, then I'm going to have to change my life. And I don't want to do that. I don't want to live. So let's suppress the truth. Let's deliberately forget about it. Number three. I'm running out of time here. We are all related. Did you know that? DNA has shown that we are all actually related. Race is a social construct not based on biology. It's in scientific books. No scientific basis for race. It's a made-up label. Go to the next one there. The concept of race is a lie. The Human Genome Project has confirmed that the genomes found around the globe are 99% of, of identical in every person, hence the very idea of different races is nonsense. Sometimes some people like that, some people don't like that. In the Scientific American Gene Geneticist, Adam Rutherford said this, the consequences of human beings being incredibly inbred, I think I've got that up there as well. I'm sorry to keep pushing you, but I didn't, we didn't go over this together. The consequences of humanity being incredibly inbred is that we are all related much more closely than our intuition suggests. Rutherford says, take for instance the last person from whom everyone on the planet today is descended. In 2004, this is geneticists working with DNA, 
Mathematical modeling and computer simulations by a group of statisticians indicated that our most recent common ancestor probably lived no earlier than 1400 B.C. and possibly as recently as A.D. 55. Go back a bit further and you reach a date when our family trees share not just one ancestor in common. At this date, called the genetic isopoint, the family trees of any two people on the earth now, no matter how distantly related, they seem to trace back to the same set of individuals. If you're alive at this genetic isopoint, then you are the ancestor of either everyone alive today or no one alive today. The genetic isopoint occurred much more recently, somewhere between 5300 and 2200 B.C., according to Rhodes' calculations. Now, when was the global flood? They estimate somewhere around 2400 B.C. When the Bible says they started all over with Noah and his three sons. Let's read it. Genesis, Genesis 9.18. The sons of Noah who came out of the boat with their father, Shem, Ham, and Jepheth, from these three sons of Noah came all the people who now populate the earth. What do you do with that? I love the quietness. I was like, hmm. All right, number four, language. Where do we get language from? No one knows. They have no clue. There's guesses, but no conclusion. We have over 7,000 languages on the earth today. One linguistic book said this. I love this. It says, Obviously, it couldn't have been a bunch of cavemen sitting around and deciding to make up a language, since in order to do so, they would have had to have a language. <laughs> are there any new languages being created today? Yes, there are. Klingon, Elf, and the Naive from the movie Avatar. There are some new languages. In fact, there was one that I looked up I'd never heard of it before, but called Esperanto. Anybody have heard the language of Esperanto? Yeah. Uh, it's an artificial construct. And it was about 133 years ago. They wanted to make it the official language of the world. Didn't quite work out. But uh, there are people that, that can speak it. A couple hundred thousand people, apparently. Uh, it's constructed from other languages, though. In fact, all new languages are derived from other languages. Where did they first get started? No one knows. They say it's just a miracle. We don't know where this came from. But we do. The Bible says all the people spoke the same language about 5,000 years ago, according to the Bible, at the Tower of Babel. God came down, confused the languages because they were all together and they were trying to build a brilliant idol. These people spread out all over the world with new languages and those languages evolved and they transitioned. Have you ever tried to read Old English 500 years ago? It's barely, you can barely understand it. Languages do evolve. But where do the official ones, where do the first ones come from? No one has a clue. They can't figure it out. But our biblical worldview can explain the languages. Supernatural event. Do you see where this is going? It's good stuff. What about symbiotic relationships? Oxygen and carbon. Plants take in carbon dioxide and release oxygen, while people and animals take in oxygen and breathe out carbon dioxide. Think about this logically. Both 
plants and animals would have to evolve at the exact same time in the exact same place in order to sustain life. That doesn't make any sense. How about sexual reproduction? In order for one of anything to continue past its lifetime, there had to be another one that was reproduced and procreated. So if we were fish, both male and female fish, or or whatever they were at the time, would have had to develop the organs in order, all in the same life, and they would have to live at the exact same place. They would have to all deliver it or, or evolve in one lifetime in order to mate together to create the next one. Does that seem plausible? And don't even ask the question, where did the two fish come from to begin with? <laughs> that they can mate together. It doesn't make any sense. So I don't have... Uh, I'm going to call the worship team and we'll, we'll end here, but uh, let me finish with this scripture that I read pretty much every week. Second Peter 3 says, Most importantly, I want to remind you that in the last days, scoffers will come mocking the truth following their own desires, and they will say, what happened to the promise that Jesus is coming again? Because they say, from before the times of our ancestors, everything has remained the same since the world was first created. That's funny. That's uniformitarianism right there. Prophesied 2,000 years before that. They deliberately forget that God made the heavens long ago by the word of his command, and he brought the earth from the water and surrounded it with water. Then he used the water to destroy the ancient world with a mighty flood. And by the same word, the present heavens and earth have been stored up for fire. They are being kept for the day of judgment when godly, ungodly people will be destroyed. So he says, in the last days, does anybody believe we're in the last days? In the last days, there's going to be three things that are going to happen. They're going to deny the creation. They're going to deny the flood, and they're going to deny the coming judgment. I think that's what we got. Because if I can go back to the beginning and say all this is bonkers, then I can disprove every single thing else. And what are the consequences of this thinking? Well, we see it every day in society. Life is meaningless. Since this has been taught in our schools, suicide rates have gone through the roof. Are they connected? I don't know. But if we're taught we're just animals and just just chance, well, then what does our life have any intrinsic value? Moral relativism. We just talked about that. Your truth is your truth. My truth is my truth. What else? We get communism and Marxism thinking. Godless. No freedom. Atheism. We have an assault on marriage and family. Well, it was a man-made construct. That's not all true. We can define it any way we want to define it. Abortion. Life has no intrinsic value. Why? We're just animals. Remember, eagles are people too. Last week. Racism is a result of this, I believe. Or at least a part of it. I could go into the into the backing of that in the early 1900s in the, in the uh, um, textbooks. They actually pinpointed, they thought that each race was from a different monkey and that each race came from the higher-end mon- monkey. That, that the orangutan was the uh, Asian. This is in textbooks being taught to kids. The ape was the black person and the, the chimpanzee being the white person and they said the chimpanzee was the highest most elevated and they used it for racism to destroy a generation 
It's sick. It's sick. And it's a lie that needs to be exposed. And one of the things we keep dealing with is we keep going to the fruit and not going to the root. And the root is all about identity, who we are in Christ. We have intrinsic value. God's created us. He's given us a purpose. All of those things, if you throw them out, if you accept that we just evolved over many years, you throw out all the things that God says that who we are. And so I want us to stand up here with the last minute or two. I'm sorry, this is, I knew this was going to be a little longer message today, but I want us to end with just two minutes. And I want us to pray. I just felt like this when I was watching that video. I just began to have a heart and a burden for the lost as I was hearing all these people in our backyard. So I would just, can we just take a moment? Can you find one person in your heart, in your mind? Just think of one person and just begin to pray for them for their salvation can we begin to do that come on let's pray Lord we just pray right now for the lost we pray for those who are confused by the traps of the enemy Lord and we just pray for for a harvest of souls to come into the kingdom of God Lord we pray Holy Spirit Lord for those people that were on that that were on that uh, video today Lord I pray some of them Lord that we'd even hear about the church somehow who, who was that interviewed Lord And there'll be opportunities to connect. I pray for divine encounters, Lord. I pray for divine uh, conversations about these things, Lord. We can say, you are, you have a purpose, you have a plan. And that stuff, it's gone into your own soul where you don't even recognize that you've believed the lies that you are, are just primordial soup, that you're just a fish, whatever it is, whatever you believe. I have no purpose. But Lord, I pray, Holy Spirit, this week, that the things that are being spoken of right now, Lord, I pray this week that there be conversations that happen all throughout Dallas, God, in their homes, in their na- with their neighbors, with their co-workers, Lord, at people in the, on the, in the restaurants, Lord. I just pray for divine encounters, divine appointments, Jesus. Lord, speak the truth, and Lord, we pray a harvest of souls come into the kingdom of God in the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Well, God bless you guys. Have an amazing week. Love you guys.